Hey, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. So today we're going to talk about re-engagement and marketing trends. And we have three amazing guests. We have Guy Sake from Google, as well as William Plank, also from Google. And we have a fantastic UA manager, Taylor Lundgren from Ludia. This, po- this podcast episode really focuses on the implication of uncertainty on user acquisition. We're going to talk about the ROAS focus due to the challenges in predicting LTVs at the moment with all the lockdowns and, and you know user behavior changing significantly. Uh, we're going to talk about the role of data and why data is the king and why understanding your audience is imperative, especially during the times like these. We're going to talk about launching new games and how how scaling may be risky. And I know some of the people are saying that now is the time to launch new games because of the lower CPIs due to the decreased CPMs as, as a lot of advertisers are, have not been active. But at the same time, with, with all this uncertainty, can you truly predict what your LTV is? Can you co- truly scale up right now and how risky it is? So very interesting discussion. In this episode, we're also going to discuss legacy titles, titles that are two, three, four, maybe even six years old, and how these titles have been succeeding and, and performing really well during the lockdowns and during the, uh, the uncertainty. And finally, we are going to talk about different engagement opportunities, especially when it comes to re-engagement and getting those great players back to your great games. So without further ado... Let's start the podcast and let's welcome our amazing guests. Welcome to the Deconstructor Fun Podcast. And today we have three amazing guests. We have Guy Sage from Google, Gaming Growth Manager. Hey, Guy. Hey, Mishka. How are you? Good, good. And then we have William Plank from Google, Mobile App Promotion. Exactly. Great to be with you today. Awesome. Welcome, William. And then Taylor Lundgren a UA manager from Ludia with a powerful Swedish surname, very easy to pronounce. <laughs> so welcome, Taylor. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, perfect, perfect. All right, today we're going to talk about engagement. What are we seeing that can help the gaming community to make most out of, yeah, I think we can call this opportunity because every, every threat is an opportunity as well. I mean, I think, you know, engagement campaigns right off the bat, um, there's an investment increase there to make sure that, you know, these users that have the potential to lapse or that, you know, have the potential to make more purchases, you actually want to make sure that they're doing that. So that's specific messaging, um, making sure you're targeting those people that may already be kind of engaged, but you want them to be, you know, power users or something like that. There's an opportunity for that. We've seen uh, engagement campaign investments uh, increase in gaming month by month. So, so clearly there is a, there's a trend into, uh, in, into this new segment of, of marketing spend. And also more and more games are all trying these uh, engagement campaigns and, and find success. And, and what has been uh, a great news to, to see as well is uh, this Apps Flyer study uh, that has been released uh, a few weeks ago, uh, where they uh, analyzed the uh, average uh, uplift in uh, RPPU from uh, cohorts exposed to uh, engagement campaigns. And it was great to see that gaming was actually the vertical that was bringing the highest uplift. So it was 50%. So when we did dive, uh, mid and hardcore games uh, were the categories that were benefiting the, from the highest uplift, but, uh, but even casual games uh, actually were seeing a significant uplift. 
So definitely a topic which is uh, becoming uh, more and more strategic for the, the gaming studios and the marketing operations. And th this was actually an, an interesting point that he pointed out with the, uh, with the casual games also growing, but mainly the growth being on the mid-core and especially more core games. And that's what I've been seeing as well is, is uh, the thing is with more mid-core, more core games, you're able to extend your session much longer. There's no blockers, there's no lives, there's nothing like that. It's basically how much you play and they're a little bit more skill-driven. Uh, so it's it's no wonder that the players are engaging with those type of games. Yeah, totally agree. I think, you know, with casual games, there's they're, they're great for when you're on the travel, when you're on the go, something like that. You have a few minutes to play around. But if you're looking to play like a more in-depth game or you have more time to spare, I think, you know, people are going to flock towards that hardcore, mid-core type of game. Yeah, and, and the second part is in, in those type of games, like, uh, well, there, there are a lot of, well, Roblox is not a hardcore game and that is rising pretty heavily because another element that is very specific to core games is not only the session uh, design, but also the social design. And as everybody's confined, maybe the demand for, for more, uh, more guild gameplay, more social gameplay becomes much higher. Team play, when you're, when you're yeah. uh, raiding together, those are, those are all boosting uh, these more of like hardcore games uh, and then their growth of mobile. So yeah, let's move One on. quick note on that, I think. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, on the other side of it, you can look at it from how hard it is to maybe get a user back. How much do you really need to, to invest? So while, yes, it's more natural for session lengths to be longer with mid-core uh, games, strategy games, clan-based social interaction games, if you go to the casual space, it's much simpler to get the user back because the sort of the, the barrier isn't as high. It's not like, you know, I'm playing a game everyone around me sort of build up their their armies or their bases yeah. and now I can't compete. It's more like I ran out of coins. If you give me some extra coins, I'll play mm -hmm. again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it goes both ways uh, in terms of like reactivating some of your user base. For sure. Uh, so, so since we're talking about reactivation of the user base, uh, this is a question for William. Like, what do you think the adoption of re-engagement in gaming, like, what do you think it's been so challenging for the past years? Every time you bring forward re-engagement, you know, half of the uh, the UA managers are going to be really quiet, be like, mm, not in games. Yeah, that's true. And uh, we've been having this topic for, for quite some years now. And uh, what uh, I was hearing from the industry all the time was like, why would I pay twice uh, for, for the same user? I'd ever invest this money to acquire uh, even more new users. And yes, uh, mobile gaming has been uh, usually setting the trends uh, for over mobile uh, ad verticals when it comes to marketing uh, operations. But when it comes to re-engagement, uh, they've been lagging behind. And uh, when you look at verticals like uh, travel, shopping, they've been spending on mobile app engagement for years already. And I think that just comes down to the fact that They've already built a very strong expertise uh, over the years on web, and uh, they've been able to very uh, smartly uh, transfer this expertise into their mobile app operations. Saying that, uh, mobile gaming now is kind of learning from, from this. Uh, as I said, more and more studios are, are investing on it and even seeing a significant success. So I think now we're in a, in a time where uh, they are getting this expertise into building the right tools to, mm. to measure and to run these campaigns. And I think uh, this should be a, a massive opportunity of growth for the, the coming uh, month and, and years.
Mm. And we're gonna we're gonna dive more into the details with uh, with Taylor in, in a moment. But guy, what do you what do you think is making reengagement more relevant right now? Is it only you know COVID, or, or is 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 there just other things that are affecting this? Yeah, I think so. Uh, sort of building on Will's point before, we're getting more experience, and uh, gaming uh, studios are starting to identify what's working for them within this space. Uh, as it's relatively new for many of them. Um, however, with this sort of uh, experimentation, we're also building a framework to have a long-term strategy for engagement. Uh, so saying it's not gonna be a one-off deal where we do this campaign, you're gonna see amazing results and um, sort of leave it there. It's, it needs to be a continuous sort of workflow. We need to work together uh, with the other teams and sort of start approaching it by levels. So starting with reactivating your lapsed payer list if you're an in-app purchase-driven game. It can be also ad whales for, for ad monetizing games uh, because that's where incrementality is maximized, right? It's very easy to define at what point users are never likely to come back and just target those. And while doing that, you follow up with engaging high-value users who are about to lapse uh, by using predictions and internal sort of uh, PLTV models um, that you can see where the users are heading. Um, turning active non-payers into payers, reactivating lapsed non-payers and trying to convert them into payers, or even just boosting DAU uh, for a specific event because you need a lot of traffic in the game, you need people to compete against each other. Um, the other thing is gaming studios are getting better at defining that lapsed churned user base. Uh, I think up until now, it's been a lot of experimentation for, for many studios trying to understand this. And as we've been testing this more, uh, the framework has been built out uh, much better. And then once you do that stage, you know, going back to the levels, it's much easier to build on further segmentation because you start to understand what are those data points that you need to look out for? What are those KPIs? What is the user behavior of, you know, never coming back and then likely to never come back and then maybe likely to stop playing soon. Uh, they sort of go hand in hand. Uh, incrementality. So doing A-B testing, you can use some, you're using the Google App Campaigns feature, you can try doing that with Firebase as well. Um, so I think more tools are being, uh, are now accessible for the gaming studios to, to build the framework for engagement. Um, and this is why we're starting um, to, to see more of this and why it's relevant now, other than just a pandemic sort of notion to it. It's people are actually more experienced and understanding how it works. Uh, so it's, the results are getting better. Yeah, I have to ask Taylor. Taylor, um, so you've been you've been a uh, campaign manager, user acquisition manager for a for a hot second now. Yeah, how come in games the uh, the, the user acquisition managers are always uh, scuffing at reengagement? Like, where where does that come from? You know, I'm not sure. I think that you know, something we've done at we've done reengagement at Ludia for a long time. Um, and I think it's always been something that's constantly evolved and we've tested the different audiences that we need. Um, following up on, on Guy's point, you know, there's different levels to which users are likely to come back and purchase. And I think that one that maybe was even missed in those levels is, is not a lapsed payer, but a payer that kind of is at risk to lapse maybe. Um, and I think that, you know, the good thing with re-engagement is you have an opportunity to extend the lifespan of these people. And it's important to look at it as its own kind of silo. You're not paying twice for the same user. I mean, you are, but you're, paying, you're investing in that user so they'll invest more in you. And I think that giving it time to work, 
to test everything out and make sure that you're targeting the right users because every game has different behavior. Um, you know, it, it's a very in-depth process that I think leads to a successful re-engagement campaign. Mm, okay, all right. So William, um, how do you see the, uh, the product and the marketing teams working together on engagement? Yeah, I think that's very key point here to, to make your engagement marketing campaigns work is uh, clearly making sure that both marketing and product work uh, hands on uh, hands. So marketing teams uh, will need to uh, understand why uh, paid users uh, might have lapsed, uh, why users are about to lapse, or why active users haven't converted to, to purchase. And if you haven't understood this, uh, this question, it's going to be very hard then to translate it into uh, an efficient uh, creative and, and, and dynamic when you, you onboard your, your user back. So, uh, so as soon as you, you kind of brainstorm with uh, your product team on this, uh, on this point, you're going to be able to, uh, to design the, the right incentives for each of the segments and uh, integrate it into your, your creatives to, to make them nice out of the marketing reports. Another point is also to make sure that you're always aware of the latest updates and, and new content to make sure that you adapt your your creatives and, and your re-engagement strategies with it as well. And, um, and finally, our last point is uh, with live operations becoming uh, so critical in, in, in terms of success for, for the monetization of the games, uh, I think marketing teams have to make sure that they, uh, they build the solutions that promote uh, this monetization stream uh, as best as possible. And, uh, and I think there is a massive opportunity here that the very few studios have managed to crack. And uh, the first ones that uh, will have found the, the right formula uh, will be the, the clear winner of, of this engagement. Taylor, so uh, I have to ask you, like how, how has Ludia structured their organization to, you know, to bring product and, and user acquisition closer together, but also how is the user acquisition structured because in a, in a lot of companies, you know, there's, there's everything different from, from, um, yeah, I mean, you, you can go through, through the different models better than I can. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, one of the big things about Ludia and what we do here is that all of our games are based in some type of IP. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the reasons we do this is, is so that, you know, we're not building this brand, like this brand already exists and we're able to focus on user acquisition for mobile users specifically and not, you know, okay. building you know, the knowledge around that app. Um, like something maybe like a best Phoenix has, has built up over time. Um, and so we've, uh, we've built our user acquisition primarily on just focusing on ROAS and user revenue growth and making sure that if we're targeting someone with a, with a target at like a day three or a day seven, we know what they're going to look like and by day 365. And that's how we, we structure our campaigns. You know, we're not so focused on the cost to acquire a user, but more what we think they can generate long term. Got it. And, and how about, you know, how close is your, okay. So first of all, like, is your performance marketing team, like, do you have in-house creatives or, mm -hmm. or is it you, Oh, you have in-house everything. Yeah, we do, we do have an in-house team. Um, we actually have quite a few people here who produce a lot of content around, um, around our games. It gives it, we, we need it because we have so many titles, you know, the campaigns themselves are pretty large that, uh, creative testing and making sure that we're getting the right messaging out there is so important. Got it. And because you're working with IPs, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. You need to have in-house creatives because you have to go through the approval process with your IP holders. Yeah, yes. That was a dumb question. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, so, uh, so 
okay, and, and your creative team and creative team, performance marketing team and product team, they're working closely together or? Mm -hmm. or yeah, I think, you know, we have, we have meetings um, focused around each title. Each title kind of has its own producer and production team and all that kind of stuff that sets the offers. And, and they work hand in hand with the marketing team and the creative team to make sure that, you know, all of our messaging is synonymous. I think that, uh, it, it like matches up. I think that uh, we're, uh, we're, we have the benefit with these IPs of, you know, there being other touch points for users. Uh, you know, they see the Jurassic World brand on TV or something like that. So we try to make sure that all of that kind of fits together to, to push people towards this way to experience that brand. Got it. And, and um, I have to ask this also. So when it comes to creatives, I mean, it, it's kind of changing. Like we were in this era of shock, shock fortainment or shock containment you know basically everything that that uh play ricks and app loving were doing <laughs> and kind of still doing with the crazy ads uh yeah. that have nothing to do with the game but are just so clickable um how much leeway and, and it's kind of shifted significantly to ads being more creative what tactile has been doing and kind of more storytelling more more immersive so mm. how much leeway do you guys have uh given that, that that you have you have uh, you know Jurassic World and so yeah forth. uh you know it, it really depends on which IP it is and also like what you're talking about like yeah. you know there's there's certain things that we can be kind of very flexible with like um you know is the ad kind of live action is it gameplay uh you know what type of structure is it what's the messaging um, but there's very specific things that you obviously can't do. You know, there's, we have dinosaurs and we don't want to talk about them like, you know, being dangerous creatures. We want to make sure that people are coming in and, you know, they're saving the dinosaurs. They're, you know, helping to collect them, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's very specific things that you have to be thoughtful of, but uh, most of our license holders have been great about allowing us to experiment and, uh, you know, really work yeah, really to find what messaging works best. Do you have the licenses to the actors as well? I mean, when we're talking about Jurassic World, uh, it varies. You, yeah. I mean, usually around launch, we'll have like some imagery that is in the game with the actors that we can use promotionally as well. But it's never like uh, them as like an influencer or anything. Like yeah, that. yeah, got it. Okay, so um, I got a question for Guy. Then, like, are you seeing more studios with with sort of a dedicated re-engagement teams, or do you feel this is this is even needed and it just should be like one of the, one of the weapons in the arsenal of, of performance marketing team. And, and, you know, what's the specialty really required compared to sort of a traditional performance marketing when we're talking about re-engagement? Yeah, this is an interesting one. And I also would like to hear Tyler's thoughts afterwards. Yeah. Uh, after I give my two cents, but I think, you know, today, many, uh, we don't see too many studios having specialty retargeting re-engagement uh, teams, there are a few, but mainly in the social casino space, uh, if I think about it, and that's where maybe this is more, uh, they have a bit more uh, of time running the engagement and retargeting uh, campaigns. So maybe they've found this as like a specific focus within their teams, uh, but usually budgets are much smaller than UA, uh, which translates into a secondary um, priority for the marketing team, uh, but not only for the marketing team. I mean, the whole, the whole basis of a game studio is, basically to prioritize what generates revenue, right? And what is the, the current um, major channels where they're seeing uplift. So with re-engagement, uh, because the testing budgets are small, 
and out of the total marketing budget, it's relatively um, small, at least in the beginning, before they sort of have a proof of concept for this. And it usually falls into the UA manager's uh, role as a side project, uh, which leads to less attention on this specific strategy. Um, in terms of the specialty required, it's, you know, it's a different type of campaign. It's a different type of uh, activity altogether, starting from the creatives, uh, audience segmentations, the KPIs, how the LTV curve will, you know, behave after the, the user comes back. It's not the same as, you know, the initial sort of uh, UA campaign um, cohort. So there's a lot of different things which really build with experience. Like the more people experiment with this, the more they can sort of understand what works for them, what are the right KPIs, what's the right creative approach, where should I land the user um, when they come back uh, to my game. And also specific BI resources, dashboards that are specific to these uh, re-engagement campaigns. Um, so by having maybe a, you know, an internal stakeholder in the team that runs this activity, they'll be able to position all these additional resources and get them from the other departments uh, within the company. I don't know, but Tyler, what do you think? Like, how does this fit in with what you've been doing at Ludia? Yeah, um, so definitely matches up with what I've been doing at Ludia. I do the user acquisition and the re-engagement. So your point about it falling onto the user acquisition manager's lap is pretty accurate. Um, but it's something that we've taken very seriously and it's, you know, it's something that we put a lot of work into here. Uh, I think you're, you're exactly right that there's a difference in the specialty between messaging on a UA campaign and messaging on a re-engagement campaign. Um, one of the benefits about us having kind of like this internal UA team, internal creative, internal production teams is we can have those conversations where if we're having a promo, if we're having a new update, that gets distilled across the re-engagement, that gets distilled across the creative. Um, so that messaging is constant. So people that have been in the game know, oh, there's a new update coming out. I got a push notification. I see the ad, you know, I'm ready. It, it just gets the hype going for the update. We find that those be those matching messages work really well to bring people back into the game where you maybe don't have to have that um, type of, you know, long-term messaging situation for a user acquisition campaign. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's an actually interesting point, um, because when I think about re-engagement, just from uh, from my from my own personal player perspective, I'm not re-engaging with the game if they just kind of advertise themselves again. So I'm just going to give an example yeah. of a game that I play too much that I try not to play, and that's Clash Royale. And when I'm seeing the ads kind of rolling in, and they're showing me the old, super highly, highly, you know, well done videos goblins yeah. fighting and all kind of humor that they done. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. I know what's up, right. but <laughs> I'm re-engaging with the games that are showing me like, Hey, I know you played this game, but we added this to this game. Mm -hmm. And then if I come back and I'm not right away kind of put in into that flow of this is the new stuff, I'm also lapsing. So there's what I'm trying to say is in order to make re-engagement work from my own perspective as, as a player, you have to invest into a totally different way. Like you have to have a deep linkage. You have to welcome those players back in a in a hundred percent different way. And, I'm, and if I'm thinking about free to play games that do it, in my opinion, really well, basically World of Warships and and war, war gaming games, where when you come back to the game and if you have laps and you know I'm paid user and when I'm coming back they kind of give me all kind of free stuff to test out. They they promote new elements in the game. They show me how long it takes me to get to those, or they take me right away to the reason why I'm back here 
because you've added this new game mode. We know you're back for this, but in addition to engaging to this new way of, of playing, check this out. We got you. Here's all this cool stuff that you get to rent uh, and, and so forth. So, so yeah, it just, I think part of the reason is just, it requires so much more from the whole team, not yeah. only the performance marketing team to make it work. For sure. Totally agree. Okay. So, um, so let's talk about Ludia. <laughs> and, um, uh, all right. So I uh, kind of, you know, looking at your portfolio, you have a couple of Jurassic world titles or Jurassic park, Jurassic world, kind of, you know, same thing. Uh, a couple of Dur dragons titles, Ninja turtles. You got family Floyd warriors of water deep. That's, um, land, uh, what's, what's the, uh, it's a dungeons and dragons IP. It's dungeons and dragons. God damn it. Yeah. Pretty good. <laughs> I thought it was dragon lands. That's a different one, right? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. That's not, I don't, that's a, I think that's a similar like D and D campaign, but yeah. you know, we didn't use it for our title. So. Okay. So some nerdy <laughs> stuff anyways. <laughs> but the point is you really know your audience because as you said, these are all based on IP. So, mm -hmm. so it's, it's a little bit easier for you, for you to, to engage with them. And what makes your company really interesting is that the newest title that you have launched is from May of 2019. So you're not scaling anything right now. These, these games have been there for a, for a hot second and not only there's an IP, but you also have a lot of data about them. Yeah. And in fact, when, when looking at the best performing titles that you have in your portfolio, one was launched in May of 2015 and one was launched in April of 2018. I believe those are both Jurassic world titles. So, so, right. um, so kind of question, question for you, it's like, how are you dealing with the uncertainty given that you have, actually a lot of uh, a lot of data you can you can play around with yeah i mean you know it, it's it's definitely been tough um like i mentioned earlier our model for ua is based on where we think a user will be by the end of the year and what that multiple is in terms of revenue growth over time and something like this definitely can throw that off i mean we've seen this ourselves where some of our cohorts that maybe we acquired in january and february um right around the time that the lockdown hit you know, we, we saw kind of a decrease in growth. Um, but more recently, uh, with, you know, the more availability of impressions, the more people trying out mobile games, we've actually seen an increase. So it just, you know, it, it's very uncertain. You don't know how um, it's going to impact prior users that you already have. You know, you never know how it's going to impact new user acquisition. And that's why having this uh, consistent re-engagement messaging and making sure that we're speaking to all those players and making sure that, you know, maybe they do have some uncertainty in their lives if they leave the game for a couple of weeks, we still want them to know that like, there's a reason to come back and play Jurassic World Alive. Okay, I understand. So uh, let's talk about <laughs> truth or, or, or fact or, or, or a lie. So um, <laughs> more users, less revenue per user. Is that true at the moment? That's what we've run into. Yeah, I think, you know, with so many available people out there with, with a lot of time on their hand, especially in March and April, um, our costs, like our CPI has definitely decreased. Um, we were getting more clicks, we were getting more impressions really easily, uh, but the conversion rate into purchasers went down a little bit. Um, you know, in some cases this has been beneficial, in other cases we've kind of stayed about status quo, uh, but we've definitely seen that trend kind of across the whole portfolio. Hmm. Um, and, and you do probably a lot of testing uh, with the re-engagement campaigns, right? Yeah, we do. Um, you know, I think for each game, it's kind of unique. We try and judge where people are likely to lapse, you know, where we have kind of gaps in retention. Maybe it's from D3 to D4, we see a drop off. Um, 
you know, so we need to make sure that we're aware of when those drop-offs happen and what can cause them and how we can speak to those users that, you know, are at that point to make sure that they stay in the game instead of lapsing. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, I, I was, I was connecting with a lot of, well, a lot of different, um, UA managers uh, before this podcast, because we wanted to have, uh, somebody from the trenches talk about the, uh, the re-engagement and yeah. a lot of them, a lot of them said, yeah, we, we've tried it, but we, we have, we weren't able to make re-engagement work. So I'm not going to yeah. join the podcast, but you guys have been able to work. Uh, why is it so? I, th- I mean, that's a good question. I think to your last point, we do do a lot of testing to make sure that we have a very, you know, streamlined and a lot of touch points for these users. Um, to the, to the point we were talking about earlier, we've put people in different buckets, right? Whether they're very likely to purchase again, never going to purchase at all. And I think that there's a spectrum that exists between that where you have to make sure that you're giving the right message to the right bucket of people. Um, our philosophy has always been that, you know, if somebody purchases, there's more, they're more likely to purchase again. We have like a VIP program uh, in the game, a subscriber type of thing where we, we value those users a lot. You know, I think some people would say that you would try and re-engage the laps people that haven't paid, but we put a lot of effort into making sure that subscribers feel like they're getting a lot of benefit from that subscription. And same with purchasers, um, where they're getting the kind of like special offers, they're getting the, uh, you know, the engagement from us because that's where, that's where we're going to continue to see that growth. Got it. So um, let's talk about on, on like um, individual player level. So mm-hmm. let's talk about Jurassic World and okay. how, how have you, Jurassic World launched in May 2015, right? The Jurassic World, the game, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know our all parrot keeps playing it. It's it's kind of weird. It doesn't seem like it. It doesn't seem like the game she would play. I was just I was just noticing like you like breeding dinosaurs, all right? It's uh, <laughs> it's crazy how how you know many people still install it daily. Um, yeah, it's you know Jurassic World, the game is such an official title that it's like if you're looking for Jurassic World and you see that, it's like oh. I guess, I guess that's what I need. Like exactly what I wanted to do today. Just breed some dinosaurs. <laughs> anyway. So, um, um, can you, can you talk about the, um, cause that's, that's a legacy title. Uh, can you talk about your approach for re-engagement with Jurassic world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because it's such an old title, it's something we still update. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of times in Jurassic world's history, uh, now that it's, you know, five years old, where we've had significant dips in user activity, but also significant gains. Um, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, the newer movie, uh, was a significant, you know, uptick in us for users on both titles. We expect that the new movie, I think, coming next year will be very similar. Um, And so we've constantly made sure that the game is updated and uh, there's new content for people. The game right now is so different than it was five years ago um, or even a year ago. And people that came in and played the game one way and decided, you know, I've had enough of this content, I've purchased, um, I'm at the point where I want to be, making sure that there's always new content for them, especially in these times of like uncertainty where people are looking for things to do and things to fill their time. Um, Just that breadth of content and giving people the option to kind of play it how they want, I think has been huge for making sure that there's constantly a way to bring somebody back in. Mm. And and how do you? Uh, by the way, I did not know that there's another Jurassic World movie coming. And Chris Pratt is in it. I think he is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how, added to the list. Yeah, yeah. 
the last one was that's actually the type of movie that i can watch when my kid she's three but mm-hmm. she's like yeah yeah we can watch yeah i i i mean a little tangent here but when i was five my babysitter showed me jurassic park for the first time it, like while my parents are gone and they were very upset but i loved it like <laughs> so you're born in 87 i was born in 91 Oh, okay. First Jurassic yeah. Park launched in '93. Yeah, so it was it was on DVD or okay, okay. VHS, not DVD. Anyway. Verifying the stories. <laughs> <laughs> Just trying yeah. to dig deep here. Anyway, <laughs> um, so um, yeah, so so how do you how do you define the success for for each reengagement campaign? Like like it's um, yeah. Yeah, I think it, you know, it really depends. Um, we want to get as much out of re-engagement as we can. Uh, you know, traditionally, I think, as mentioned earlier, there, there haven't been that many options for re-engagement, especially on these ad networks, places where you can really re-engage users and really build those lists. And, and Google adding these ad campaigns for engagement has been uh, huge for that because it gives us a whole other market that we haven't tapped into yet, mm-hmm. um, a new way to approach them and, and new messaging we can hit them with. So, uh the re-engagement then as we're trying to put as much as we can into it the success for it really depends on kind of what our ua goal is um we expect that you know when we're targeting campaigns of people who have purchased or tend to be likely purchasers uh they're going to come back and help buoy up some of that ua testing we do with additional revenue um we look at that relationship as being kind of like symbiotic you know we use the ua campaign to pull somebody in that's maybe that's like the bait and then the re-engagement just keeps them hooked. Um, and so we have this constantly running to where the success is basically, does that revenue growth improve from our re-engagement campaigns? Like what is the incremental uh, improvement there on a new user based on that re-engagement? And do you run re-engagement all the time? Because what, what, I'm, what I'm asking is because your games are IP based and let's say Jurassic World, the first one comes in, I don't remember when, the last one came in like a year ago. So it would feel natural that you're running your biggest campaigns during that time when the movie is coming out, when mm-hmm. the DVD is coming out, when the Netflix version is rolling out across the different geos. Um, is that the case or are you constantly running it? And, and the second question is, like, do you think that the IP is of help when you're doing re-engagement or does it really matter? Uh... Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, we're constantly running re-engagement. I think to your point, though, the investment varies based on you know what the situation is. Obviously, around the movie, um, we might expand our targeting to include lapsed people or something like that to bring them in a little bit more. Whereas maybe while we're in kind of this down period, we're just targeting people who we think will be extremely valuable or something like that. Um, so that's you know it, it varies. It it has a flow, a bit of flow, but we're constantly running it. Um, as far as the IP goes, I think that, you know, that we probably do get a lot of benefit from it. I think that one of the great things about IP, like I mentioned earlier, is there's all other re-engagement kind of touch points, except for our campaigns that they might see, you know, on TV or on, you know, searching for whatever, like we're the premium dinosaur brand. So if people are mm-hmm. just looking at dinosaurs, it's like, that's probably what they're seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is like, it's just a way for people to engage with that brand. You know what I mean? People that are playing these games a lot of them are already Jurassic Park or Jurassic World fans uh and so them being able to kind of just jump into a game really quickly and engage with that brand I think is attractive for a lot of people that are huge fans of the movies or 
you know, however else they've experienced that brand. Yeah, yeah. So what is making these uh, these re-engagement campaign different from sort of a traditional paid UA and, and in basically in the way that you manage these campaigns? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that um, it's kind of a difference in like what behavior we're trying to create from a user. Uh, with the UA campaigns, I think that the goal here is is mostly just to drive an install, right? We count on the like game structure to turn them into a purchaser, and we we expect that if we're setting up our audiences correctly, you know, we're optimizing for value or something like that. We're going to be finding likely purchasers, so if they come into the game on an install, and we have a good structure within the game, then they're likely to become a purchaser. Uh, with re-engagement, I think you have to be more specific. You know, we're trying to keep them engaged, so it, it depends on where they are in their lifespan. I think, you know, somebody who's a subscriber that we want to renew, we have to speak to differently than somebody who hasn't opened the game in, you know, 30 days, but did purchase it sometime in the past. Um, there has to be different offers. There has to be different kind of messaging because we don't just want them to come back in um, the same way we would with the UA campaign. We want them to come back in and resume being like a valuable user that, you know, plays the game for a long time. Uh, and so having these messaging touch points and, and making sure we're speaking to that behavior, I think is the big difference. Mm. So, um, I got a final question. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, performance marketing folk listening to this. There's a lot of game and product managers listening to this. And from the product side, they're probably always eager to try anything. <laughs> Yeah. And from the UA side, they're they're not eager to try <laughs> anything. <laughs> they're just more and more conservative, which is weird because they've yeah. seen all of it. So right. uh, let's let's put the question this way: What are the sort of a top uh, mistakes to avoid? And and when when you're let's say your your team now that you know the team X Y doing a game <laughs> C yeah. is is working on this, and the next you know. Actually, right now, as they're listening to this podcast, the, the game lead is typing to the, uh, the campaign manager, I want to work on re-engagement. We have a yeah. five-year-old game. Uh, have we, are we doing re-engagement campaigns? No. Why not? Because they don't work. Well, they will work because of X, Y, Z. So, so can, you, can you kind of give a little bit of ammunition for this game lead <laughs> to this campaign manager or her? Yeah. I, yeah. I think, uh, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier, you can't just kind of treat it like UA. There's... there's all these different users and speaking to them specifically and making sure that that messaging works for where they're at in their lifespan as a user um, is, is so important. Uh, giving people who are less likely to come back a reason to come back, you know, a promotion, like you mentioned earlier, deep linking or making just sure that messaging is saying like, hey, we know you haven't played in a while. Here's like something special to bring you back in. I think apps outside of the gaming space, like say Uber Eats or something like this, do this extremely well, where if you haven't, ordered something in a while, they give you a little $10 off coupon or free delivery, whatever. Um, you know, it's just something to incentivize you. Uh, and that works really well for us on the lapsed users. On the, you know, actual paid users who are more recently paid, we don't have to do as much. We just kind of, you know, want to give them a touch point, let them know that the community's here. We do a lot of like community production and stuff like that. So there's a, I think the biggest mistake is, is just starting re-engagement and not having it tie into everything else you're doing. You know, we want to make sure that re-engagement is tying into our promotions and the events that are going on in the game and, you know, where that user is and what they've done. Um, it's, it's about the right combination of messaging. And uh, so I think there's an opportunity to do a lot of testing and re-engagement. We've had to do that too. And I think that's a big thing as well as making sure that you're 
kind of exploring all the options for it because every game is different. And we even see that in our own portfolio where we have to be uh, very different structures for different titles. Um, so I think another mistake would just be kind of like ending it too early before you've had that time to test every avenue. Got it. So to summarize it, um, yeah. in order to test it and, and make, so testing is a, is a tough word for re-engagement campaign because it's not sure. like, let's open it up for a little bit, see that it doesn't work and never do it again. Because yeah. that, that seems to be, that yeah. seems to be the typical flow of re-engagement campaigns based on, based on, uh, my conversation. Um, yeah. But what you're saying is, in order to test it, you have to invest into it. You have to invest both time and you have to invest, you know, product resources in the sense, because you have to make it valuable for the players who you're targeting to re-engage. Is there anything else that, that, that is important? Do you have, like, is there something, you know, custom dashboards or, or different ways you're calculating LTVs for those? Uh, well, we do make sure that like when we're assessing what our LTV is and what that revenue growth looks like, that we factor in what it looks like with and without re-engagement mm -hmm. to make sure that, you know, we're still getting that value. We're getting that incremental value. Um, to, to your point about testing, like I, I agree that like, you know, the traditional re-engagement campaign might just start out, not work, and then uh, get shut down. I think there's so many different signals that a mobile app sends out that, um other traditional like advertising methods don't have where it's like this user leveled up, this user finished their tutorial, this mm -hmm. user unlocked an achievement. Um, so there's so many different like signals that you're getting as a UA manager that you can say, oh, well, what if I gave this message to people who are between these levels but haven't played in a while and things like that. So there's, there's always an opportunity to see like where is that value going to come from and where can I kind of incentivize more value from. Um, it definitely is is something where like, you know, we have all these five titles and as you mentioned, some of them are five, six years old where we've kind of built up these best practices, but it, it it's a lot of different um, potential audiences and a lot of different potential messages. Mm. And would you encourage uh, your colleagues to do re-engagement during this time, if, given that they have, a lot of them have a lot of um, legacy titles with a lot of data in it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I would for sure recommend it. I think that, you know, utilizing Google's new campaigns um, has been great for us, mm -hmm. especially in these uncertain times. You know, as I mentioned, some of our older cohorts, LTV kind of dropped down when, uh, when COVID hit. Mm -hmm. um, but we're able to, you know, we know that having those re-engagement campaigns increases the LTV of those users. And so despite that, we're confident, you know, that we're able to bring them back or to kind of incentivize them maybe later on down the road to uh, check out like what else is new in the game. Perfect. So you don't have to have dinosaurs to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they help though. They, they do. <laughs> they for sure do. <laughs> Who doesn't like dinosaurs? That's right. A ridiculous question. So uh, Guy and Will, um, how can, um, what, what, are, what are sort of a, what are the next steps for, for people to, to get into re-engagement? Of course, they're going to bomb Taylor from now on if their campaigns don't work, <laughs> <they'll> yeah. work. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, um, guys, well, like how does, um, yeah, kind of closing words from you guys. Cause we've been talking about on, on a very specific game level. Yeah, I think, um, on my side, it's definitely apparent based on all the data recently that there is a value for engagement and re-engagement, uh, whether it's for retention or for your average revenue per user. Um, but there is sort of like a barrier, like uh, Tyler mentioned, around 
the, the amount of work and the uncertainty around where should I be focusing my work? Should I be focusing on KPIs? Should I be focusing it on the product side and deep link on the creative? Um, and it's really a little bit of everything that you need to be doing in order to set up the, that initial um, testing method. And like Tyler said, there is like a, the new Google campaigns for engagement. We are seeing more and more clients onboarding to this product and seeing good results. Um, so I think that could be a, a good first step to talk to your uh, your rep uh, at Google and try to understand how to make this work for you and what's actually needed from all the different sides, whether it's KPIs, creatives, deep links, audience segmentation. Um, those are things we can help you with. Mm. Well, any thoughts? Yeah, and um, and I think to conclude is. Uh... Uh, re-engagement for gaming uh, is not a myth anymore. Uh, more and more uh, studios are, are finding, finding success with it. Um, we have data uh, to back this, uh, this out now. So, uh, so yeah, uh, let's make sure that uh, you're not uh, taking the, the train too late and, uh, and take advantage uh, of this uh, new opportunity of internet. Well, thank you guys. I really wanted to do this podcast because, um, because of two reasons. Uh, one is I've been fascinated by re-engagement because from product perspective, it seems to make a lot of sense. I give, you know, the war gaming example was there. There's a lot of games that I have played that do clear. I don't know if they do re-engagement campaigns, but they're targeting, at least I'm seeing them on Instagram and Facebook and I'm just not coming back because there's nothing interesting that they're showing me. They're showing me whatever it is. And when I sometimes go back because, oh, yeah, it's the game that I like to play, but I was so infuriated and I left. And when I go back, there's actually no new flow given to me. I'm like, I, like I've never left. You know, it just starts from that point. And I'm like, oh, I know this grind. I'm not going to come back. So, so that was from the player's perspective that I felt that that engagement re-engagement makes total sense since the lifetime of, of great users is five years and, and, and longer. And the second part was that when I was having these feelings and then when I was uh, going through bad re-engagement campaigns and good re-engagement campaigns, um, and then when I proposed it to our campaign managers and they were like, mm, no, you're absolutely wrong. They don't work. It's useless. And a lot of UA managers were saying the same thing, that re-engagement doesn't work. So it was great to do this podcast and kind of talk about how to make it work and it's not just another campaign among the others you actually need to have a different strategy and you have to different outlook so it's great having uh both both william and guy you both of you as well as taylor giving kind of like super concrete examples on on how you guys have been successfully running re-engagement campaigns so thank you to both to all three of you yeah absolutely thank you all right thank you for having me Mishka. On this note, people get re-engaged. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. See ya. Bye.